Hi, I'm Malcolm Hawker, and this is the CDO Matters Podcast, the show where I dig deep into the strategic insights, best practices, and practical recommendations that modern data leaders need to help their organizations become truly data-driven. Tune in for thought-provoking discussions with data, IT, and business leaders to learn about the CDO matters that are top of mind for today's chief data officers. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, or whatever time it is, wherever you are. I'm Malcolm Hawker. I am the host of the CDO Matters podcast. I'm thrilled that you are joining us here, and I think this is our 30th episode, which is kind of cool. So if you've been along for the entire journey, my thanks. If this is your first time, also my thanks. We talk about all things data. We talk about how to improve the tenure and lengthen the tenure of chief data officers. So I am an an ex-data leader. I'm an ex-consultant. I'm an ex-gardener analyst, whatever hat you could potentially wear in the data space. I've worn it, and my mission is to help data leaders or aspiring data leaders figure out how to optimize their investments in data, how to become better at what they do. Um, along those lines, I am just, I, I'm excited to have this guest on the, on the podcast today. So today, today I, I have a unique uh, opportunity. I'm, I'm actually talking to a coworker. Uh, this is the first time that I'm actually will be speaking with somebody who works in the same company that I work with. But that's really kind of just more of a coincidence than anything else, because Lawrence Young is uh, is what I would call a value engineer. I think at Prophecy, he holds the title of a value consultant. But, but, but Lawrence, his job is to help our clients understand how investing in our software, in this case, MDM software, uh, can, can help drive business value. But I, but I know, Lawrence, that you're going to talk kind of more generally today beyond just MDM. We'll talk more in general around investments in data. But why are we talking? today. Before we dive into that, Lawrence, let's just hear a little bit more about you and your background and how you came to do what you're doing. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Malcolm. So hi, everyone. My name is Lawrence Young. Uh, As he mentioned, I am a value consultant at Prophecy. My background is uh, actually pretty broad. I'm I'm a data scientist. I also um, have built uh, consulting practices uh, for different uh, systems integrators that are uh, aligned with Microsoft. a lot of my background is in systems management, uh, AI, machine learning, and those sorts of things. Uh, but really, my role at Prophecy is one more on the business side. Um, having been somebody on the data side um, and needing good data, I know some of the issues with what happens when your data is not necessarily where you need it to be. Um, you're not able to provide the insights that um, are possible to run a business. And so what I do is I help people understand, okay, this is why it's important from a business perspective. It's not just enough to say, okay, this is going to make my job easier as a tech person. Uh, so this is why we need to improve the data, but we also need to talk about what's in it for the business. And so that's really my role. And, and that's my background. The, the way from I love it. So we're we're talking today because the number one topic that I had as my through my nearly three years as a Gartner analyst, talking to CIOs, talking to CDOs, VPs of data and analytics, the number one topic of discussion, easily bar none, um, was how do I, as a data leader, connect, make a, a tangible connection between investments in data 
Now, when I say an investment in data, that, that could be a report, could be a dashboard, could be MDM software, could be a data catalog, could be data governance, uh, could be a set of APIs, whatever it is. How do I, when I invest in those things, could be, again, could be software, could be, invest, uh, could be a process, maybe even data stewardship. When I invest in those things, how do I show the value to the business? That was the number one topic of discussion. And even if it wasn't overtly mentioned as the topic, so often my conversations as an analyst would come right back to that because I would be asked questions like, well, how do I build a roadmap? How do I prioritize all of my competing initiatives? What do I work on? You know, what, what do I focus on? How do I get stakeholder engagement? Right? Often these questions would come right back to, well, have you quantified the business benefit, right? Because stakeholders, what's in it for them? This is, this is what they care about, they care about outcomes. So we're having this conversation today and I'm talking with an expert in value engineering because this was the number one thing that I was asked as a Gartner analyst. And now that I've left Gartner, I continue to have conversations in, with, with data analytics leaders and it continues to be a number one challenge. I just came back from the CDO IQ conference uh, the number one conference for CDOs on the MIT campus in, in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And again, the topic comes up over and over and over again. So that's kind of the, 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 the why we're, we're having this conversation. But when it comes to some of those high level whys, Lawrence, I, I touched on a couple of things. I talked about prioritization, roadmaps. I talked about executive stakeholders and getting alignment. What are some of the things that you've seen over the years about, about why, these, why this connection is so important? Well, I think in many cases, technical teams and technical resources, um, they aren't really thinking about things in terms of the macro, in terms of the business and how this advances the business. Um, and admittedly, I'm very much a process person. Um, and the reason to improve your data a lot of times is to improve processes, but it still needs to have some sort of translation uh, to why this is going to do something for the business, whether it's saving costs, uh, generating revenue, increasing productivity and those sorts of things, right? And so when I think about the why, I think about those sorts of things, like what are the, the mid-level things like improving processes and where do those translate to the balance sheet of a company or where do those translate to uh, doing what you do better or doing something new? That's kind of what I, I, I look at when I, I start to help our organizations figure out where, where the value lies in, in, in data. Now, now, something you said there is 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 subtle, but I think it's important. Uh, you actually mentioned balance sheet mm -hmm. because I think it's important when when we say value to the business. Um, I would often it was the first question I often asked my clients when I was a Gartner, and the answers that I would get back is, you know, uh, how, how I would ask something like, "Well, how how will you know if you succeeded?" Right? How, how will you, how will you know when you, you've actually delivered? And the, the answers I would get back was, well, the data will be better, or I will reduce right. the d duplicate records, or I will eliminate null fields, or or the data will be better. It'll be easy to you know to to, to munge the data or to process the data. And I would stop and say, hey, wait a minute, business doesn't care about that stuff. So right. so what, when I hear you say business and you mention balance sheet, that to me is like aha. You know, mm -hmm. that, that's what we're talking about here. You actually even said kind of the three things that matter, revenue, cost savings, and maybe even risk mitigation is another thing that we could, that we could, that we could quantify here. But I, I would often hear, and I'd love your perspective on this. I, I would hear when speaking about the balance sheet, you know, I would often hear, well, you know, a, a data, 
you know, it isn't a balance sheet item. It's actually really not an asset. So we, we, we can't quantify it as an asset because it's really, you know, our accountants don't even think it is one. What, what would your response to that be? Yeah, that's a great question, Malcolm. You know, when you when you think about data, maybe from a financial perspective, not being an asset. Well, when you think about it, it is in the fact that you're using that data to understand the hard assets that you have. Uh, so when 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 I hear that, like my the, my first challenge is, OK, um, if data is not an asset, well, the the hard assets that you have, how are you keeping track of them? And the answer always comes back to data, right? We're using some sort of inventory system, or we're using a CRM to take, you know, to keep tabs on our customers, or you know, there are all these different systems that they're using. And what is the main component of a system that gives you that information that you need to work with or to understand what you have? It's the data layer in that system, right? It's the data. Um, and so that's kind of you know, you have to kind of boil it down to kind of the lowest common denominator so people understand, yeah, while it's not an asset, it's how we recognize everything. You know, from a very human perspective, the way that we make decisions as human beings every day, it's not from seeing an object and just thinking I'm going to do something with that object. We think about it in terms of, okay, well, if I use this object, what's it going to do for me? Uh, so, a good example is um, a real life example. Um, my wife just had her uh, had her latest birthday party, um, and I, I saw I'm, the balloons. In, in, I saw the balloons behind you a couple of days ago when we were meeting. That's right. That's right. I'm sorry. Oh, oh yeah, that's, that's your right. Wife. Yeah, the balloons. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so, <laughs> like, I'm an amateur photographer, and I'm thinking, you know, the first thing I'm thinking is, what is the best way for me to shoot this party, right? And so. I don't think about it in terms of, hey, this camera looks good. I'm thinking about it in terms of what are the inputs to the camera that are going to give me the best pictures? Uh, what's the shutter speeds that I'm going to use? What are the focal lengths that I'm going to use to determine the lens that I'm going to use? And, and those sorts of things, right? And all of those are data points. That's data that I'm using to make a decision. And so that's the, that's the thing. Like, we always use data when we make decisions as human beings. It's no different than when you're in a business, right? And, and so that data is going to be important because when you listen to shareholder calls for public uh, for public companies, for example, yeah, they don't really talk about the data, but what they do is they talk about um, what the what the price points are, what the um, uh, price per share is, all these different financial metrics that you typically hear in in businesses, right? So th those are all data points. Okay. It's, it's interesting L listening listening to you. Um, it, it's 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 interesting because the very justification you used for the importance of data and the importance of qu uh, quantifying how it impacts business processes, right, is the very thing that I would actually hear from data data leaders as a reason why they can't. Meaning mm -hmm. that the, that it's an indirect connection, right? Like I would hear all the time. Well, it's, you know, okay, yes, you know, we have the data, but there's an indirect connection between, you know, pipeline data and close book sales, right? Or there's an indirect connection between data related to the supply chain and the price we're, we're paying for our material, our raw materials. 
But what you just said is, is that the data is an analog of the process, or it's a representation of the process, and these things are intrinsically intertwined, and you can't, you can't even, you can't separate them. So, I love that. I mean, this this guy has some deep philosophical things we could probably talk about here about data. This describing this describing data, this describing data. But I mean, you're, you're, to me, your point is incredibly well taken. The thing that I mean, I I would love to pick your brain on this, given that you're a data scientist. The thing that I, I find a little Maybe ironic is the word. I, I, I don't know if that's the right word, but is that is that for companies that actually have data scientists and you know they're in the business of building models, right? Mm-hmm. Like data scientists will will take all these inputs and they will build models to do things like maybe even predict future behaviors, right? Or, or yeah. model extremely complex processes um, that would difficult that would be that would be difficult to do otherwise, right? Where the very people that would be in the business of maybe building a model to to quantify the revenue impacts of improved pipeline management, the very people that would be doing that are in the data and analytics organization and, and, and they do modeling for a living because ultimately that's kind of what I think we're talking about here is, is building a model. Like how do you model the connection between data and business outcomes? So I, I found it always a little bit ironic when I was at Gartner and I have these conversations and, and the very people and the very roles and the organization that's in the kind of the business of building these models, sometimes often that are in the business of predicting the future, right? Talk about indirect impacts that are in the business of, of, of predicting the future. Well, they were, they're, they're right there working for data leaders. So, I mean, I, do, do you see this as, as a modeling exercise at the core? Yeah, it, it very much is. Um, and so, you know, you brought up a good point about predictive modeling, right? Um, sometimes I, I reach data folks um, in, in the process that I have to help them derive value out of improving their data. And they often say, hey, like, we're having a real hard time connecting these dots. And so then what I'll do, since I am a data scientist, like, I'll break it down into like a, a sort of project that they might have. So I, I might say something like, okay, um, you know, for example, like, let's talk about improving your customer data. Um, how is that going to perhaps net you more in cross-sell and upsell opportunities? Well, what if you were able to build a model uh, that basically predicted the success or likelihood of a marketing campaign if you gear them towards a certain amount of your current customers uh, that have spent a certain amount of money um, by targeting them for a certain discount or a certain price point. And this invariably is some kind of predictive modeling that they've done before somewhere, whether it's there at that company or at another company. And so I just try to boil it down into uh, ways that they understand these things to help them start to uh, formulate those ideas. I, I love the cross-sell, upsell, um, and, and even, even the kind of the discounting example that you gave, because that's one where chances are pretty good those models already exist right or those metrics exist right like if i if i if i deliver you one if i deliver to your marketing team one qualified lead right and like one sales qualified lead that just went into your sales pipeline how much revenue would that actually equal i i i know most marketing organizations probably aren't or can answer that question right like there's a 20% 20% probability of a sale and our average sale is $100. So that means for that one qualified lead, that's probably going to lead to 20 bucks in the bank, right? Like that, right. like that level of, okay, that's what it is. So that means that if we improve the data that, that goes into creating that lead, 
um, that, that, that there could be twenty dollars at the end of that rainbow. But I love I love the the sales and marketing cross sell upsell because that's that's an area where a lot of data leaders can like it kind of clicks and those models probably already exist. Not, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a very obvious place for improvement for most companies, right. right? Because they sell something, they want to sell more of it, and that's that's the easy that's the easy lever to pull, right? Well, yeah, and it's and it's and it's sexy. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like yeah, when you talk about drawing the line between um, improving something like that and what a financial return is going to be, that's a very quick financial return if you do it the right way, if you have the right data. And that's the message, right? You have to have the right data so you're able to make those decisions and you're not discounting too much or you're targeting the right customers. Um, if you don't target the right customers or you discount too much, that's not going to really translate as well on the, on the balance sheet at the end of the year, as opposed to having better data, deduplicated data, uh, better quality data. Right. So that's yeah. that's the idea. Yeah. I mean, what, what I mean by sexy is across the three levels. Right. Revenue, cost yeah. savings, risk. I mean, all those being equal right. revenue should should be what I always advise my clients. Revenue. All else being equal is where you want to focus because that's what gets the most attention. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that uh, because when you think about it, like I mentioned public companies before, revenue is going to be one of the first things that they put in their yearly prospectus. For example, uh, companies that are not public but are looking to grow, the first way they measure themselves is by revenue. So that's that's usually where I always start to. Yeah. Okay. Well, well speaking of where you start, let's let's assume, let's let's role play here. Um, and let's assume I'm, I'm chief data officer of Acme Incorporated. Man, I hope there's really not an Acme. There probably is. Oh, oh you know bricks. there is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, the phone book, right? I think they make the bricks, right? Like the red bricks. I think Acme is like a brick company. So or my apologies, or something like that. Yeah. 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 My, my apologies. Like if you're if if this chief data officer for Acme Corporation is listening to this, and it's just like for her, his eyes are just like rolling, like you know. Stop! Stop using as an example of all things broken. Right. Uh, my, my apologies, uh, CDO of Acme. Um, <laughs> but but let's assume I'm the CDO of of, Ac of, of Acme. Well, what's the company they to use in? Um, oh, Nuco. That's in like case studies in like business school. Nu Nuco. Uh, for yeah, are you use Contoso. Like that's the Microsoft standard, right? Like. Oh, yeah. is it? it oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, what are some other ones? Oh, Pied Piper. We can go back to Silicon Valley, uh, the, the, the show Silicon yep. Valley. If I'm the CDO of Pied Piper. Anyway, I'm sticking with Acme. I'm the CDO of Acme and I've got a large scale data initiative. Maybe I'm, I'm, I know that I've got a governance problem or maybe that I know that I've got a customer data related problem. Um, or maybe I'm being asked by my marketing team to build a customer 360. It doesn't matter. I've got, I've got a significant thing that needs some investment, needs money, needs people. I'm the CEO of Acme, and I've hired you, Lawrence, as my consultant to help me um, quantify and build an estimate of what sort of return I could expect to get out of that investment of data. Break it down for me. What does that process look like? Uh, so the, the first question I always ask is, why have you hired me in the first place? Um, because that kind of gives you a good, way, good place to start, right? Um, usually the answer is because... I need to be able to justify this project to somebody, right? The way I look at, the way I approach these uh, these sorts of engagements is by just talking to people. Um, when you think about it, my role is very much a culture-oriented role. I don't look at things like as a hardcore analyst like a lot of management consultants do. Um, and the reason being is because 
what I need to do is get folks within the organization talking to each other. Uh, so that's really that's really core when we come into this. So the first thing I do is I talk to the first person to find out why have you hired me. Uh, they tell me why they hire me. Um, and it depends on the answer that they give me, right? Um, why don't you give me an answer, Malcolm? And I'll, I'll uh, so, let's go ahead so, and we'll play it. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the hook to deliver on this digital transformation. And uh, you know, my marketing team is screaming at me for better customer data. Let's 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 fo let's focus on that. So I need to I need to improve my customer data. So can, can, and 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 I'm I don't have any money right now, and I need to go ask for some money. So yeah, how do I do that? Okay, so your marketing uh, your marketing org is asking for better data. What is it that they're trying to do with the data? Or is there somebody from the marketing org you want me to speak with? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm hearing anecdotes, uh, you know, when our customers call up, we've got, you know, four or five of the same customer record or customer service people don't know what, what you know, which record to assign the ticket to. I've heard some, some feedback from our logistics organization and that sometimes we ship stuff, we're shipping to the wrong address. And I, I, I'm hearing, you know, from a marketing team that we're having a hard time building kind of customer centric models and, and, and segmenting our customer data because the, the, the quality is really low and they don't trust the report. So. I don't even know where to start. That that, that seems like a lot, um, but those are some of the examples of the problems I got. Okay, so let's build a framework for this then, uh, so we can work together to solve this. Uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to speak with somebody who's close to the ground in the marketing organization who understands uh, the details of what these issues are. Somebody from shipping as well, because it sounds like you all are spending a lot more money than you need to. Uh, when it comes to sending things out or maybe you're getting things returned. Uh, so I'd like to speak with uh, those folks, but then also from you, I'd like to understand what are some of the uh, organizational initiatives that you all have to grow the company over the next couple of years? Because that's going to be important too, because if you want me to help you uh, solve this problem, we should be able to uh, connect the dots between what the marketing and shipping uh, teams are having problems with to whatever those organizational goals are. And if we are having trouble doing that, we can speak to people between um, the decision makers on those organizational goals and the marketing and shipping teams. So what I'm hearing, so we're, we're, out, of, we're out of the role, by the way. I'm yeah. cut. <laughs> yep, yep. So, so what I'm hearing is, is that there's a top down. Yep. Like let's, let's, let's talk about the strategy. Let's talk mm -hmm. about where you want to go, where you want to be, but then, at a functional level, when you're talking to people who are actually doing the stuff that are doing the complaining, but the data, there's also maybe a bottoms up. That's right. right. Okay, so there's both. Yeah, because when you think about it, um, you know, when we the reason why we go after what the organizational initiatives are in the first place is because to build alignment uh, for this data project, we want to make sure that we find something to latch onto that everybody in the organization is um, is going towards. So a common goal, right? Now. When you speak with folks, you know, kind of closer to the data, they're not necessarily going to speak in those terms, but they're going right. to give us a lot of the intel that we need to start asking more elevated questions uh, to the point where we can get up to uh, having a direct connection between an organizational initiative and and the challenges that they're having um, from a micro level. So I assume kind of where you're going with this, kind of going back to my example, that from a higher level, 
a lot of these digital transformation initiatives, and this is just one, by the way, it's just one example, but like could loosely be tied to some sort of focus on the customer experience or customer satisfaction or make customer number one or just some sort of customer centric transformative focus. That's kind of the top down. Yep. And from the bottoms up, I suspect we're, what we could find here are, are, are we looking for KPIs about, about how, like, is, is, that, is that the connection point from the top to the bottom? Or what's, what's the connective tissue here? KPIs do make my job easy when, when they have them. It's something that's not always evident or not always known. Um, if there are not KPIs, then I just kind of get down to kind of brass tacks with, with folks that are closer to the data and understand how we can make their jobs uh, better? How can we help them uh, look better within the organization? How can we help the organization move forward? And usually like when we look at those few things, um, there are going to be some answers there, right? And so in lieu of the KPIs, you just have to ask a bunch of questions to really get a full um, understanding of, well, what is it that data practitioners and data consumers are up against today? Okay. But is it, is it in your experience, is it common that there aren't KPIs? Is, is that is, is that something you've experienced often or? Sometimes. Um, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's super common. Um, I would say, let's say three quarters of the time there are KPIs. Um, okay. uh, probably more than that. Um, but it is sometimes common for folks that are closer to the data to not have an intimate understanding of the KPIs. Um, and, and so when that happens, I mean, it, it will happen. Um, sometimes what they'll do is they'll go back to uh, to a member of management in their area to understand those KPIs, or they'll bring them into the conversation as well, which is even better because then we can get another perspective on the business, uh, the business challenges uh, that the data is presenting as well. So I, I, that was kind of a leading question because I already knew the answer, or at least mm -hmm. I knew my version of the answer. Because at Gartner, when I was having these conversations, I was I was shocked by the number of people that would ask me, "Well, we don't have any KPIs. Do you have any you can offer?" I would I would hear that all the time. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm like, I, I this is your this is how you measure the success of your business. I'm not in the business of measuring your business. You're in the business of measuring your business. You know your business better, right? Right now, yeah. At Gartner, we had, I mean, I had spreadsheet after spreadsheet of sample KPIs that I would be happy to offer up. But ultimately, um, you know, for a lot of data leaders, I think what they will find, this is not abnormal, that, that they may hit a wall where their business partners don't actually have success metrics for the thing that they're complaining about or the thing that they're concerned about, which which I always find a little bit surprising. But it, 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 at this point, it's never truly surprising because it, it does happen. Do you... Yeah. I mean, to get to where you need to here, though, I assume you need some idea of what success looks like on the business side, which means you've got to kind of pick something, don't you? Yeah, you do need to understand what success looks like on the business side. On the business side, so here's how I normally go about it. Um, I usually will speak with somebody a little higher up in the business that will have an idea, but I also do a lot of research too. Uh, so. A good example of that is when it is a public company or it's a private company that's put out sustainability reports, oftentimes it's right there in black and white what their goals are. Um, that gives me something to drive towards. Um, in cases where I don't have you know, public documents or, um, or uh, things that are, are put out in like the 10K, for example, uh, for public companies, what I'll do then 
is I'll, uh, and this is a plug for uh, the NYU School of Business, the Stern School of Business. Uh, they have a, a good set of, of kind of benchmarks that get, by industry that kind of tells you like, what are things like their profit margins and their weighted cost of capital and, and things like this that I can then use to say, well, based on your industry, um, here's what I think you should do, or let's look at improving something that is industry-based by 5%, so you're a little bit ahead of the industry. So I'll go there too. And what typically happens is um, when I, I build a report and I give that report to the customer where I've made those assumptions based on industry-level things, then all of a sudden I start getting a lot of the extra data that they weren't able to get as well or earlier because what's going to happen is they're going to start pushing that data up that I provide to people. They're going to say, well, actually, here are our numbers. And so now we have a more accurate view. And then that gives me the ability to uh, start to refine kind of what we think we can we can shoot at in terms of improving data. So there's a couple of different things you just touched on there. So let's let's assume that we, we go through this process, we go through this interview process, we, we're talking to all the stakeholders. Let's assume that we get some idea of how success is measured for the priority areas, right? So we already mm -hmm. talked about them, you know, customer service and logistics and all these other things. And just spitballing here, let's assume that we come up with maybe 20 KPIs, like improving that promoter score, improve customer satisfaction or customer yep. retention, whatever. There's a whole bunch that they could possibly be. Yep. But you, but when you were talking about the the Stern School, what you kind of suggested in there is that figuring out the baseline is going to be important. Is that is is that is that kind of the next step of the process to understand where you are now? Yeah, yeah. Figure out a baseline that's important, um, and then also the other thing is when you do have multiple KPIs, like twenty or so. Like what I really like to do is really focus you on somewhere between two and four KPIs. Nice. Uh, so we prioritize, right? And the reason we prioritize is because when we do finally have this report um, that we can we, we can provide you, I wanna make sure that we don't overwhelm you with too much information. You're already overwhelmed with a lot of data, probably more data than you need because you're looking to improve your data for some reason, right? Well, I don't wanna add to that when it comes to helping you justify your, your report. So something simpler that you can easily communicate within the organization and get everybody aligned is key. So you, you prioritize, and I assume that that's a function of those business priorities that you were talking about. Now, I love the guidance there because I, I used to do the same when I was a consultant and even when I was a gardener, when I would hear my clients say, well, the business doesn't tell me what their priorities are. I don't know what the business priorities are or I'm not involved in those discussions. I would go right back to the 10Q, 10Ks, 10Qs, annual reports, all hands meetings, PowerPoint sent out by people who are influential, whatever it is, there's probably some breadcrumbs out there to right. tell you what the priorities are. And I love the idea of the two to four, um, whittling it down and you whittle it down based on what you, what you, based on the input from your stakeholders and based on priority from senior executives. So you got the two to four that are whittled down and now you're trying to understand what your baseline is. And yep. Let, let's assume that you can do that. You can understand that today my net promoter score is 70 and I want, and, and, and that's our baseline. Or today I, I understand our customer retention rates are 50% baseline, baseline, baseline. Next, I think is the kind of this, the, 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 the magic. Okay. <laughs> maybe, or maybe, or maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. You, you, you tell me. So I've got business metrics that I care about, and then I got a bunch of data. 
right? I got I got data for customer. I've got I've got data for product. I've got data 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 all this other stuff. What what's what's the what's the magic to start to to connect these things? What what do you do? Yeah, so here's where the magic lies. Um, you are going to have really two main parts of of this thing that you hand somebody to help them justify their project. There are going to be the numbers, right? The financial uh, metrics that are going to give you the ability to see what a return is on this project. So that's one. But I think the more important part is the alignment piece or the narrative. And so this is where you take all the information that you've gotten from the different groups. Uh, you group that information into like um, into like sections, essentially. Um, and then you tell a compelling story that satisfies you know as many of the groups as possible that hey, improving our data is going to help. Uh, it's going to be able to uh, help us do something better, do something more, improve these KPIs, improve these financial metrics. Um, but one thing I should point out, though, is when we think about KPIs and we start talking about like net promoter scores or we talk about um, being able to um, increase customer retention. So we talk about customer retention rates, yeah. right? We still need to translate that into something financial to show the return because my CFO is probably not going to, I'm not going to say they're not going to care, but it's not going to be That's as resonant with them. If, um, you know, we, and we increase our NPS or net promoter score from 50 to 55, right? What they're going to want to see is what is the financial link to that? Um, or the same thing with the customer retention rate, right? So like, let's use customer retention rate as an example. Part of this magic um, is translating that customer retention rate into some sort of financial gain, um, something that we either save or we generate in terms of revenue. And so let's say we have customers that, uh, for a nice round number, let's say we have a million dollars of ARR um, or annual rate of, um, basically $100 million that we get from our customers every year. Um, and we retain 50% of them, that means we're only making $500,000 off of renewals. Well, if we translate that to 55%, that means now we have an extra $50,000. And so we need to have a thought, um, basically a thought exercise to figure out, well, if we improve our data based on the, uh, based on the issues that we're having as a company, um, what is the level of improvement that we could see on customer retention? Um, and then with that in mind, how much are we getting from our customers in the first place or per customer? Um, and that's going to help us determine, okay, well, if we improve by X amount of uh, X percent, then that's going to be our return for that particular area that we're looking to improve. So we have to go the full way, right? To, uh, to translate even stuff like your NPS and your uh, customer retention rates into some sort of financial number to help us show what the return is going to be for those things as well. Yeah. So you, you, you touched on it. Like that's, that's the magic. That's, that's where the magic happens. So to me, there's two sides of this equation. One side is the business metrics and the financial metrics. And, and you, and you draw distinct, an important distinction between the two because, you know, net promoter scores, that's what marketing cares about. Mm -hmm. But the CFO is going to care about money in the bank, right? And how? Right. That's, but that's that's one side of the of, of the kind of the KPI equation. The other side of the KPI equation is data, right? Mm -hmm. And the way that the, the the way that IT people look at data and measure data. 
you could look at standard dimensions of quality, like accuracy, completeness, uniqueness, timeliness of data, some of the classic data quality metrics. Those are, those are ones to start with, where what I think I'm hearing you say is you need to find a way to model a connection between those two, right? That's, Meaning yes. if, if the desired outcome is, is cross-sell, let's mm -hmm. just stick with that one because it's a good one and it's a relatively easy one. And you know today you're at a 10% cross-sell rate and you want to get to 20% cross-sell rate. You got a theory, right? You got a theory that improving the quality of your customer data across those four, four dimensions, maybe sometimes there's people argue that there are more, but the, the four classic ones that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. if, you if you improve those four dimensions, there is a modeling exercise required to go from improving customer data quality to moving the needle on cross cells that that right. to me is 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 where the lightning strikes that's the thunderbolt that's the magic and that's the modeling exercise that i'm talking about do, do you agree with everything i just said i do and, and you used a good term move the needle right and that's a term that i use all the time with like fellow data professionals that i meet with right mm -hmm. um because yeah it's good to improve your data from a data perspective because you're going to be more efficient you're going to be able to do things easier you're going to be able to get stuff out faster right but does that move the needle for the business probably not right because any good data professional is going to make it work even when the data is not great which means you're spending a lot of this extra time that they don't see and but they're just going to say well things are working well for us so let's just go ahead and and do things the way that we were going to do, that's not going to get your project justified, right? And so you have to, it's really important for you to connect all those levels together so you have the the core problem and you're able to uh, demonstrate graphically and through communication what it means for the business to to move that needle, as you mentioned. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, give, I'll give the listeners and viewers a, a actual tangible example of what we're talking about here. Um, and if, through my experience in the past, and this is in no way, shape, or form an, an endorsement of any third-party data provider. Um, I just happened to use one here. Um, but in building a model like this, what I did in the past related to customer data quality is that I didn't have any benchmarks on my data quality when it came to our customers. Now, we just happen to be B2B, but this is equally relevant in B2C as well. And there are third-party data providers that can help with this in a B2C world. But in a B2B world, what I did is I bounced my data against Dun & Bradstreet, okay? They're not perfect and they don't have 100% accuracy. They've, they've, you know, like all data companies, they have some challenges, but they're still pretty darn good. What I found was that my, my, my data was, and I'll just I'll loosely use the term of 70% accurate, give or, give or take. 30% of the records that I shot over to the DMV, they were like, uh, what? We, we don't know what this is. So I came back with this, this idea of the 70% data accuracy. And, I, and so that was my baseline from a data quality perspective for, for customer data. Now on the cross-sell side, we had benchmarks there. We, we knew what our cross-sell rates were across our various lines of business for given products and for given customers. So what I did was, is I said, okay, if we can go from 70 to 75, right? Like I'll just, we'll just use this, this metric of 70 to 75. We have a 5% data quality improvement in our customer data. Hey, business partners, stakeholders, what do you think that would mean to you? And, and to me, that was that was the lightning connection because people were actually willing to have that conversation because I had actually found the right people to talk to within the business. I, I talked to the people that worked in FP&A, financial planning and analysis. They were doing the budgeting for marketing. They were doing the forecasting for marketing. 
and they were willing to have a conversation there. Is this is what I just described? Is this does this does this pass the smell test to you, sir? Yeah, I would. Yeah, and I, I use I use personal stories too. Um, so, for example, I, I started my career as a as a data engineer, um, and I worked with um, K through twelve school districts here in the U.S. And really, what I was doing was I was taking library patron data um, and putting it into a software. But the way that I did that was I had to get extracts from these school districts, and I mean these extracts had a ton of records, like. It wasn't it wasn't out of the ordinary to see like a, a 10 school school district. So a smaller school district to have like 12,000 records for all their students. Right. A lot of duplicates, um, a lot of data quality issues. And I had to build store procedures um, to clean this data up in, in SQL 2000. I had to build XSL style sheets. I had to spend a lot of time analyzing all this data and. I, I made that work. Right. So like the school districts were happy. They didn't see the amount of time that I was spending, but my company understood that it took me a lot of time to do it. And so the way that the way I look at it is if we can automate a lot of that uh, through some data improvement methods, what is that going to mean? That means I'm going to be able to do more. Right. That means I'm going to t be able to take a lot of that time, um, like say 20 hours per week. So half of my time at at the time I was making like sixty thousand dollars a year. So I could offload $30,000 a year of, of, of my effort to do other things to make the company more money. The company could bill more for my services uh, if I did more um, like SQL development sort of things. Right. And so that's kind of what I that's kind of how I do it, too, is I, I just I relate it to a, a real life, um, a real life story to say, hey, yeah. like this is what I did. This is this is how I could have improved on it, and this is what it could have made the company. And that's really what we're doing for for um, for people who need our help and saying, "Hey, this data is going to bring some level of value to this organization." Yeah, love it. Now, what I would advise to the data leaders who are listening is that all else being equal, you need to focus on the business side instead of internally within the data analytics side. That's right. It's it. it if, if that's your only choice and that's the only model you can build and that's the only metrics, or maybe that is the desired outcome. Maybe you are embarking on an operational efficiency play within your own organization, which is incredibly valid. Absolutely. If every, every data leader that I know is under increasing pressure, certainly every CIO I know is, is getting less and less and less and less money every year. So that is a, a, a certainly a valid business outcome. I, I would just urge that all is being equal, you can focus on the revenue side or on the business side. Uh, yeah, fit it is what you do, yeah, right, yeah. as a company. Because, yeah. like, I was working for a software company, so that's well, there you go. Okay, that way, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's that that is how you work. That is your manufacturing plant. That was you is making the manufacturing more efficient. So that that makes total that's sense. That's right. So. Yep. I was I was building the widgets. That's right. All right. Well, just before before we end off, I, I do I do want to touch on one last thing, it, it, which is the the idea that the, these models are never a one and done. Right. Like this is a living thing that should be revisited because there's no way you're going to nail it the, the first time out of the gate. Right. There's no way you're going to build the world's best model out of the gate. Now, what, what do you advise to your clients in terms of like kind of an, a programmatic approach here to, to manage these managing these things over time? So uh, one thing that I always recommend is make sure that you have somebody running point on keeping you true to what it is that you were looking to do in the first place. Right. Oftentimes it's a project manager, uh, that's a business leader. It's somebody who understands uh, kind of what you were trying to get at by improving the data. And so 
building some sort of coalition or some sort of partnership with that person to make sure that the business and the tech teams stay aligned on that is key. Um, the other part of it is, you know, Malcolm, you mentioned that this is a living thing, right? So we find all the time that organizational initiatives change, right? Uh, they change like the wind sometimes when you're a public company because your shareholders demand other things instead. And so you might need to pivot. If you need to right. pivot, that's fine. That partnership is key, right? Because then you all can kind of revisit what what we put together as kind of a value plan for you. Um, and you can even bring us back in to, to kind of refine that towards what the new goals are. But it's all about accountability in partnership within organizations. And that's why I look at this as very much a culture role, right? Because you, you need to get people talking with each other and used to working with each other um, and building that strong partnership, uh, that strong relationship with each other. So when you do need to, to pivot, it's a much easier pivot as opposed to something laborious when you haven't worked with somebody before. Got the relationships. Easy, easy to turn. Yep. On that, love it. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm a huge, huge, huge believer in in the need to focus on building these what could otherwise be called business cases. I, I think you could you could call it an ROI analysis if you wanted to. A lot a lot of folks kind of push back on the idea of ROI and that's related to that. But but what we're really talking about here, folks, is quantifying quantifying and making it tangible. The that you know the, the value delivered to the business through investments in data or data data systems, data processes, tools, software doesn't matter. But if it's not about business outcome and if it's not about business value, then I think you're right to ask why are we doing it? And this is a way to quantify it. So there are people out there, value engineers, analysts, data scientists, people like Lawrence that do this stuff. I would strongly urge you to find these people. If you don't have one, it was it's kind of the number one role that I would recommend for data and analytics teams in, in, in now and beyond. Often product leaders can do this. Often product managers are pretty good at when it comes to this kind of thing because product managers know how to build profitable products. So in the product development process, product people kind of know to look at all of the inputs and costs and then what would the revenue otherwise be. So product management is another area where you could be looking to kind of apply these types of roles or to glean these roles from. But the role of value engineer is absolutely positively critical to data and analytics leaders, to CDOs. I strongly urge our listeners to, to think about augmenting the team with those types of roles. Lawrence, thank you. Hey, Malcolm, anytime, no problem. All right, with that, I will tie off my thanks to all of our listeners, all of our viewers. The CDO Matter podcast continues to exist because of your patronage, because of your listening and your viewing. I'm thrilled to continue to do it every other week. Look for another episode of CDO Matter sometimes very soon. Thanks, everybody. Bye for now.